Hi, this is Justin. Are you ready to stand before the judgment seat of Christ? And are your good works the kind that will endure, or are they all just going to be burned up? We answer a listener's question about these very things today. We get this question all the time at Theocast about the judgment seat of Christ and about heavenly reward, and we want to look at it today from a biblical perspective. We will survey a number of the passages that are commonly referenced with respect to this. We hope that the conversation is clarifying for you. We hope it's helpful, and we hope that it is encouraging. Stay tuned. Hey, guys, as a quick reminder, if you'd like to join Theocast and helping other people find rest in Christ, a simple way of doing that is simply by leaving us a review on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. You can also leave reviews on all of our books. They're available at Amazon.com. And if you haven't started following us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook yet, that's a great way to take our content and then share it with your friends and family. To learn more about how to support Theocast, simply visit theocast.org slash give. Welcome to Theocast, encouraging weary pilgrims to rest in Christ. Conversations about the Christian life from a Reformed perspective. Our hosts today are John Moffat, pastor of Grace Reformed Church in Spring Hill, Tennessee, and myself, Justin Perdue, pastor of Covenant Baptist Church in Asheville, North Carolina. John, it's good to be behind the mic with you again today. My brother, it's a double dip week for us. We recorded yesterday with our brother, Jimmy Bueller. And he is headed out of town soon for some much-needed rest and diversion from the task with his family. So it's just you and me today, man. And so that means that we're both doing a little bit of heavy lifting. So I'm going to throw it over to you now for the most anticipated segment that Theocast ever brings to the table, and that is the ProCon. That's right. This is why people listen to the rest of the podcast. People just turn it off. Or they're so offended. Yeah, <laughs> or they're so offended they just turn it off. All right, I'm gonna start with my, I'm gonna start with my con things. I what I don't is like. this, John? This is the oh, con man. pro, dude. It's pro con. I, I know. Anyway, go pro ahead. con. All right, I'll start with pro. You do you. You do you, man. It's all I'll right. start pro. I am pro hammocks. I am pro hammocks. I recently installed one right off the uh, back porch in the shade. No, I mean, I, not really much to say other than I'm with you. Who doesn't Man, like a hammock? I didn't realize I, I didn't mean, realize how much I liked hammocks. I've never like had one at my house before. And now we have a so, hammock. And so are you trying to like, say that you like hammocks more than I do? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Pretty okay. much. You, you'll see. You get uh, we get the boys. You guys are coming out in August, so you get a chance. It's not it's not too no, hot. It's fun. But it's in the shade. And man, I'm telling you, some music and a good book. Uh, my kids are back there on their on that thing all the time. So, anyways, pro sure. hammocks. Why not? I'm con. I am con the mask debate. I I just really don't want to be involved in another mask debate yeah. for it or against it. And I I'm not gonna. I'm not even gonna step into it on, in this podcast. I just am over the mask debate. So that's my yeah, con. I'm, I'm gonna let that lie where it is. <laughs> I yeah. I I don't want to. Hmm. No comment. All right. So um, let me just go ahead and quickly and awkwardly pivot and transition us which, into our Which topic actually, for you know, today. the mask, yeah, before you pivot, the mask debate brings up so much, um, oh, no. so much controversy in our current mm. culture. It's like we reward those who wear them and mm. we, we damn those who don't. Kind of mm. like, uh, 
It's kind of like our topic today. Well done, John. I had to throw it in there. I had to throw it in there. Just a cheesy transition for you. Absolutely. So we got a listener question recently, and we get this question a a decent amount. I mean, I know that we have, even in my time at Theocast, we've gotten correspondence about the topic that we're going to be discussing today. And I think it's one that has produced a, a lot of confusion in the church and people are just unsure of, of what to do with these particular passages that we're going to be looking at today. The The topic for today's discussion is that of the judgment seat of Christ for believers and in particular the, the, the judgment according to works or giving an account of our lives and heavenly reward for for good works done. So we're, we're basically going to be be answering the question, like how should we understand the judgment seat of Christ and the principle of heavenly reward for, for Christians? And I think before we dive into the particular passages, it, it is worth mentioning that there is not much ink spilled in the New Testament on this. There are really no. only a, a handful of passages that deal with reward and the judgment seat of Christ. And we're going to try to highlight each of those today uh, and spend spend more time in in a couple of them because they're lengthier. But then we're going to try to highlight all of them and and survey them and and hopefully bring some clarity into this conversation. Uh, and, I would and say the most that, popular ones for sure. Sure. We'll spend more time on those. Yeah. So that's that's where we're headed. Judgment seat of Christ, heavenly reward. John, I mean, help us, brother. How do we understand these things? <laughs> well, it, it has been used, and I've seen it used my entire Christian life, and it pops up here and there. I we uh, we are in a, several different text threads, and we'll see links where this um, this language is used to control the Christian um, from final sure. justification to rewards to fear of standing before God because of judgment and. Uh, I would, to begin with, I would say that normally when this passage is presented, it's never explained in context. The book and purpose of the book and the section of of Scripture, they don't take time to look at the tone, the purpose, the sure. goal. And they just assume, well, it says, look, you're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. You better be aware. You better be, you better be fearful. You, you, what you do matters. And... When I was in seminary, I can remember uh, we had, I think, an entire four classes where we were studying the different rewards, and he had it pretty systematized, uh, the different rewards one could potentially have based upon their level of effort and work here. And you could have a kingdom, you could be a landowner. I mean, depending on your status here will determine your status in the new kingdom, uh, which you know, we, we're going to definitely do a podcast on this coming soon about the laborers in the field, which <laughs> is in sure, the, the laborers in the vineyard. Yeah. Yeah. The vineyard. Sorry. Thank you. And even, uh, but yeah, even the parable of the talents potentially. Too. Right. Yeah. Right. To think that, you no, know, you know, some come to Christ and, and they're not, a, they're not here long enough to establish any kind of, you know, does that mean that pastors have the greatest seats or missionaries have the greatest positions in heaven? And what it turns into is that we become so focused on what we're going to gain and what we're going to get out of this Christian life as it relates to physical status and physical rewards in heaven right. that uh, it, it, it can and does cause great discouragement. Sure. Uh, it can cause 
uh, we, a comparative righteousness where we feel that we are better than others because of the labor that we put in. So what we, uh, what we here at Theocast want to always do is bring relief and rest for the Christian. We want to motivate you to demonstrate kindness and grace and mercy and motivate you towards the gospel. And I believe that this, this idea of putting fear or in someone's um, Christian life, depending on what they're doing because they're going to stand before Christ, or motivating them towards reward uh, is, is dangerous. And we're going to look at context and, and realize this, this is not what the writers of the New Testament had in mind, specifically Paul and the writer of Hebrews. So we'll start yeah. with First uh, well, Corinthians, which is— uh, maybe, Go ahead. Maybe one other general comment from me before we look at yeah. particular passages. Yeah. I think our overarching understanding of these passages is going to become clear. But I think for us, rather than these texts producing fear— or encouraging people to just accumulate as much stuff for themselves as they can. Our understanding of these texts are that they are to give hope and encouragement in the midst of life in a fallen world. And, you know, even in, in one particular example, it, the judgment seat of Christ is meant to humble all of us so that we love one another better. I, and so right. I, that's, that's kind of our general take on these things. And we're going to, try to unpack them passage by passage. So, John, we want to start in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Is that where we're going to go yeah. first? Yeah, yeah, I think we're going to do things a little bit different today than normally we keep things general, but this is, uh, we felt like it was a good podcast to actually look at the texts and maybe show people that, next, you know, I guess what, let me do this. Before we get into these, these passages, we encourage you that if someone brings to you a verse or two, which, you know, there are, there are some famous verses. Uh, we're going to, you know, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. It, it would do you well to go back and read the chapter and then maybe even read find the whole out, letter, maybe. You know, right. Yeah. Maybe even find out what's the purpose of the letter. I mean, Justin and I did this. We did this together. We said, hey, look, before yeah. we bring this before the, con- before the congregation, before the listeners, we let's talk, you know, make sure that we understand what's the purpose of the book. What's the purpose of this section? What, what is this chapter mm-hmm. covering? We, uh, because we, we want to rightly explain this. Reading and talking and looking at the, the words and the sentences and the context and everything else. Right. Just to make sure that we had agreement on what those were. And, you know, Justin and I have had conversations about this for a long time now. So it's not that it's not the first time we thought about it. But, yeah, let's jump into the text, because one, not only are we going to answer this question, but I was telling Justin, I think the exact opposite is going to happen. Those who normally are afraid and find discouragement in these verses, I think, are going to find hope and encouragement. It's going to be flipped on its head where you'll find rest. Last, just sort of public service announcement for interpreting Scripture. Not only do you need to always take things in context, as John was just encouraging us to, and as we are going to try to do today, something that we would discourage you from doing is is what might be called proof texting, where you just isolate verses mm-hmm. and and use them to sort of prove a point. Um, but then also uh, something else that we warn people against is uh, a an outlook or a, a perspective, a hermeneutic called biblicism, where you take verses and pit them against one another, and it almost makes the Bible come across as schizophrenic. Like we would, we would pit the idea of standing before the judgment seat of Christ over and against our promise of justification by grace through faith in Christ alone, and we ought not do that with Scripture. 
we need to be able to hold these things together uh, in, a, in an appropriate tension even, but we ought not cancel one text with another or pit one text against another. And Biblicism does that all the time and creates tension and mystery where there isn't any in, in Scripture. And so, um, yeah, I, I hope that's helpful uh, to, to the listeners. So, John, 1 Corinthians 3, let's look at it, man. Right. So, um, a famous letter, right? Paul is dealing with a number of issues. The church is uh, all—it's all kind of divided all over the place and promoting all kinds yeah. of promiscuity yeah. and issues within the church and— uh, in this particular section, in the beginning of the letter in chapter three, you are dealing with the issue of the church becoming divided, yeah. where they division in the uh, church Paul, is the issue. It is the issue. So Paul is not trying to whip them into shape as far as it comes to morality. the The major concern, and Paul does this almost in every single one of his letters. You see it plainly in Ephesians chapter four. You see it in uh, Colossians chapter two, where he's trying to create unity within the body, where the focus is on. He, I mean, he says in in um, Colossians chapter two that there are people who have come into the church and they're taking your focus off of the head, which is Christ. Well, he's using the same kind right. of language here. I mean, we know the famous accusation. So he begins by saying to them, "I wish I could give you and call you spiritual people." but you are so far of the flesh. And then he gets explained, he goes, listen, you, your foundation, the way in which you are building your spiritual life is on men. You are dividing yeah. yourself. Some of you are saying, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Paul. And, and he, gets, he gets really irritated with them and, and, and says, what, what are you doing? So even if you begin in verse seven, it says, so neither he who plants or he who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. So he's beginning, he's beginning saying, you, you, you are all trying, you are basically the labors you're doing right now, you're creating legitimacy based upon who has trained you. Yeah. You who's grown there's jealousy. You. Yeah, there's jealousy among you, he says. There's strife among you. You're wigging out over what tribe you're a part of in one sense. Like, are you with Apollos or are you with Paul? Or are you with Cephas, Peter, he mentions later. And he's saying none of those things are of any value. There's one thing that's of value. And, and that's where he's going, you know, in verse, in verse 11, there's one foundation. And that's right. the one foundation of the church is Jesus Christ. And then he's going to talk about doing good works upon that foundation beginning in verse 12. Right. Which I think if you miss of verse 11, then you miss the whole illustration of what he's saying. Yeah. So all the of these people, of the the Corinthian church is divided. They are they are building their reputation, their foundation upon the reputation of another man and his righteousness or his spiritual or his you know level or his teaching, of, um, his giftedness, whatever. Right. And Paul comes in and he says, "For no one lay, can lay a foundation other than that which is laid." which is Jesus Christ. Now, if you anyone builds on a foundation with gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, straw. So again, famous section, right? We're talking about that which is going to be burned. Each one's works will become manifest. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built, let's go ahead. No, go ahead, brother. Finish reading. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive reward. If anyone works is burned 
up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Right. Well, I mean, a couple of observations for me. I mean, the first is, this is just a, a broad observation of of Corinthians in general. I mean, Paul rebukes the right. Corinthian Christians for a lot of things in the whole letter, but he is not calling into question their salvation. I mean, he even makes no, that clear not. here. You know, it's it's not that you will not be saved, but he is pointing out that that some people are going to do works, you know, by by faith in Christ, built upon the foundation of Christ, not motivated by following particular men or tribalism or anything like that. And then there are going to be other kinds of works that are done out of these kind of selfish and vain, silly motivations, you know, where it's like, well, okay, I'm out of strife and jealousy and all these things, I'm doing this stuff. So I think that's the distinction that he's drawing, is that there are going to be some works done by faith in Jesus built upon the foundation of Christ, not motivated by this silliness. And then there are going to be other things done in a different vein. And and some of those works are going to stand and some of them will not, but it's not a, a fearful thing, you know, in terms of like, well, the works that you have done, you know, that aren't going to stand are going to damn you. It's not that. But he is saying that they are they are not of the value that that works done by faith in Christ for the sake we would understand it for the unity of the church and the good of your brothers and sisters, those works will stand in a way that these other silly things will not. Yeah. I mean, how many times does Paul have to say we walk by faith, not by sight, right? We, the Christian life, what we do, Hebrews 11, six, without faith, it's impossible to please God. It's impossible. That's right. Right. So to he, here is an issue of they are putting their faith in their alignment other than Christ. And it's causing, they're looking to something other than Jesus. Yeah. Right. And because of it, they're causing division to where they're, if everyone is building their foundation on Christ, it will unify us and we will realize that there is no reason to boast, none whatsoever, because right. our foundation is Jesus Christ, not anyone else. This is when, so he goes, he continues on. Go ahead. In other words, I mean, one way I might sum this up is anything that you're doing that's causing unnecessary division in the church is going to be burned up. Anything yeah. that you're doing, you know, in Christ Jesus by faith that is that is producing unity, but in particular unity around Christ will stand. That's right. Right. So he goes on and says, Do you not know that you, plural, are God's temple and that exactly. God's spirit dwells in you? Plural. If you if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Now we always you, assume, well, oh, that's drugs. <laughs> Um, sexuality, uh, even tattoos for some. <laughs> well, we assume that that's an individual you, and it's right. not. I mean, that is a no. corporate, like, do you, the church, not understand that you, the church, are the temple of the Holy Spirit, you know, and that mm-hmm. the unity of the church and anybody who destroys the church, like, th- this is really bad. Like, God right. takes offense when people destroy the unity and the love in the church. We're excited to announce that we have a new free ebook available at our website called Faith Versus Faithfulness, A Primer on Rest. And we, the host, put this together to explain the difference between emphasizing one's faith in Christ versus emphasizing one's faithfulness to Christ, and how one leads to rest and how the other often to a lack of assurance. And you can get this at theocast.org primer. And if you've been encouraged by what you've been hearing at Theocast, 
we'd ask you to help partner with us. You can do that by joining our Total Access membership. That's our monthly membership that gives you access to all of our material that we've produced over the last four years, or simply by donating to our ministry. And you can do that by going to our website, theocast.org. We hope that you enjoy the rest of the conversation. Paul's strongest language comes to those who have divided the church. I mean, he has said even some, compromise you know, the gospel the and dividing they, the church. And he he says some things about certain men that they should treat themselves in ways that sounds very <laughs> painful. And but he anytime someone comes in and brings division amongst the body, that's where Paul gets. It's, you know, so that's right. Uh, he he continues on in verse eighteen. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may be wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, He catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows mm-hmm. the thoughts of the wise, and that they are fruitful. So He is dismantling yeah. all this. They are they are so impressed by the 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 prowess of those who are around and. They're they're finding their legitimacy based upon who it is that they follow, and well, Paul comes in and says, "This is causing division yep. because you should find your hope inside Christ as your foundation, it's not exactly another right. teacher." Well, and it's so verse twenty one. So let no one boast in men. Conclusion mm-hmm. at the end of it, verse twenty three, because you're Christ's, you belong to Jesus, and Christ is God's, right? So the, the issue is. You, you ought not boast in men. You ought not wig out and divide over which men you're following. Do you not know that all of you are in Christ Jesus and Christ is God's? So he's arguing for unity and love in the church in the, in the context here. And that's how we should understand all of his language about works that will stand and works that will burn up. It has everything to do with that unity and love in the body. And that one yeah. foundation of Christ, like we're rallying around Jesus and not anything else. Yeah. So it'd be safe to say, I don't think Paul here is throwing at us the the fear tactic of get yourself in line or else. He's actually saying, like Hebrews does, don't mm-hmm. don't grasp onto anything but Christ. Exactly. You exactly. Could, anything. And he's not also telling people, you need to concern yourself with doing a bunch of good stuff so that you'll get a lot of stuff in heaven. That's, that's, right. that's not the point. Like store, basically like make sure that you make bank for yourself in the new heaven and the new earth. That's not the point. The point right. is let's, let's exalt Christ. Let's extol the mercy, love, and grace of Christ. Let's build on the one foundation, which is Jesus. And let's pursue unity in Christ in the church. Right. Now, when he says, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he'll receive a reward. We have no idea what that means. And the fact we, that God's going to give right. us a reward for trusting in Christ is yes. crazy. Like, why would it's, he do that? It's grace. And I, so I, I'll throw this in. I think Mike Horton does a great job of describing something of what this reward will be. It's going to be like the the praise and the rejoicing of heaven, you know, is going to be part of our reward in that, you know, right. on the, on that day when the work, the good works of the saints are extolled in Christ Jesus, we are all going to be standing on the tabletops celebrating what's been done for Christ's sake. Not because, right. oh, you know, John, you're incredible. It's like, no, Christ is worthy. And praise be to his name that this was done in faith. You know, mm-hmm. and and yeah, you're exactly right. The, the language of reward is very ambiguous and we don't know what that means. 
a lot of times it's talked about in very material terms, like how big your house is going to be or how much property you're going to own or how much money you're going to have. And it's like that, that, you know, at best is being read into the text. And at worst, I think is just incredibly deceiving. Um, And yeah, and, and it, and it misguides people. Well, I think the pridefulness of our heart. Yeah. Real quick. I think the pridefulness of our heart causes us to, again, we have the nature of comparative righteousness. It's built within us, the depravity of man. It it always wants to be able to look at the guy next to us and say, I'm better. And I've done more. Where we learn from scripture that everyone is in equal need of grace. Everyone is saved with the same amount of grace and everyone is saved in the same manner. And the reward is Christ. The moment you put your faith in Christ, as it's been gifted to you, according to Ephesians 2, the moment you do that, your reward instantly, whether you live a thousand years or one day, is Christ and him crucified. Right. And if if God so chooses to, re- and we don't know what those rewards are, we hear words like crowns. It's I think the point of it is, is that even the writers of the New Testament, it's so outside of their earthly knowledge to know what this looks like. They're just kind of grasping at trying. I mean, John even says, I'm trying to use language when he writes right. in Revelation. I'm trying to use language that that I don't have words to describe what I'm seeing. So here's my best shot right. of using right. languages here. <laughs> well, even uh, reward too. I mean, I'm, I'm mindful of the thief on the cross where, G- where Jesus looks at him and says, today you will be with me in paradise. I mean, it, it's like, if you want to know what the reward is, ultimately, that's it. I mean, and that's, that is promised to everybody who's, who's in Jesus by faith. It's like, you'll be with me in paradise forever. Right. That's enough. You know, and then anything Amen. else on top of that, we, we can trust that God is good. You know, and that it's that that heaven, new the new heaven and new earth is going to be epic, and and it's going to be epic primarily because God and Christ are there. You know, and and we are with the Lord. So let's transition to to Second Corinthians five in light of what we're just talking about right now. So Second Corinthians five ten says, "For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil." So let's think about this in its context. Second Corinthians, largely, Paul is defending the legitimacy of his own apostolic ministry throughout that letter. At the end of Second Corinthians three, we've got some some wonderful language about you know the revelation of Christ and and how as we behold Jesus, you know, Paul is a minister of the new covenant, and in the new covenant, Christ is revealed, and as we behold the Lord Jesus, we're transformed from one degree of glory to another. Um, you know, he talks in the early part of Second Corinthians four about. How you know again through the revelation of of Jesus Christ, like the the light of God has has shown, like the light of the knowledge of the glory of God has shown in our hearts as as we behold the face of Jesus Christ. Then in, then he talks about this kind of we have treasures in jars of clay. I mean, I think what he's talking about there is we have the treasure of the revelation of Jesus, and we you know as stewards of that are like jars of clay holding a treasure within them. You know, and we're just trying to steward this well as apostles. Then he gets into, at the very end of that, he talks about how they, like he and other apostles like him, as opposed to these like super apostles, often face afflictions and trials and things are hard. And he talks about the, the hope, though, he's in verse 17 of 2 Corinthians 4, for this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And then beginning in 2 Corinthians 5, 1, he starts to talk about heaven. He starts mm. to talk about the guarantee of heaven and how it's it's certain 
he says that in verse five, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the spirit as a guarantee. That sounds just like Ephesians one. <laughs> You know, guarantee so there, should be uh, like a like a big flashing light like, for context. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> yeah, like God has done right. this. Like the reason that you can have hope in current affliction and trial is because the new heaven and the new earth is coming, and it's certain, it's secure, it's guaranteed. God has done this; He has promised; He's faithful. So then, right. verse six. So we are always of good courage. So we know that while which we is in the, the same, body, which is in the same yes, paragraph, yes. As the warning. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, so we know that while we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Yes, verse 8, we are of good courage. There it is again. And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, this is verse 9, we make it our aim to please him. So hmm. Paul is, is talking about, and then he says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of God. So it seems that in the context, we're talking again of the guarantee of heaven. We're talking about hope in the midst of affliction. Paul says, we are of good courage, and so we work, and we make it our aim to please God. And then I, I, you talked earlier about how fear often, in this whole conversation about the judgment seat of Christ and even reward, fear is what controls. Well, Paul right. says something very different in verse 14 of 2 Corinthians 5. For the love of Christ controls us, he says. And it seems right. that the controlling piece and the, the motivating factor is something altogether different than fear. Those are just right. a few thoughts from me on 2 Corinthians 5. John, jump in. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree with you more. When he says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil, uh, in that context, so think about when you're in persecution, and you're struggling, and I would even put it in today's context. Uh, we we are having, I'm having conversations with congregants where they are in despair. It, it feels like the world is collapsing in on us, where it's COVID-19, it's racism, it's, it's sexual deviancy, the political politics, uh, pe whatever. People are dying. I've had so many church members that have lost family members more this year than I've ever had in a passive pastor. It sure. feels, and then they can't go to funerals sure. because right. you COVID nineteen. And this week alone, I've had two church members who had two serious surgeries. So it just it we, feels like yeah. the the sky is falling for some people. They know it's not, but that is the feeling that they carry around with them. And I am sympathetic to that because. I too feel the weight of all of this. And then there's the weight of my own sin and the weight mm -hmm. of my own struggle. Mm -hmm. And you literally begin to say, Lord, what, this is chaos. Why can't you just come back? Mm -hmm. And why, why are you making us endure this? Like you could, you could, one, you're not, you're cho clearly not choosing to fix this because people are still dying yeah. and they're still suffering. And they're still fighting in chaos. And it's been this way for thousands of years since like the flood. So you're not coming back anytime soon, even though we wait and anticipate your return. So the attitude can be, as Paul says here, man, we'd just rather be with the Lord. Like, I would just sure. rather be here. Yeah. And Paul says, I'm let me encourage you. Yeah. Let me encourage you that you as, and, and going back to first Corinthians chapter three, he had already told them you're on, you're a worker for God. God did not leave you here yeah. so that you can prove your salvation. God did not leave you here so that you could uh, do something that um, gains reward for you. He left you here with a purpose and a mission. 
And that purpose and a mission is to love others with the gospel yeah. and to love each other for encouragement because the lost sheep still must be found. So yeah. for, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. He's just saying, hey, listen, what you do here matters of because it it's does. the advancement of the gospel. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I would go and back to second, I would go back to second Peter chapter one, where he says yeah. that what you do, you don't want to be of. Uh, what's the actual language he uses there of, of no effect or of no value. Mm-hmm. Uh, you want to make sure that the, what you're doing here as a believer, as you're following in Christ, it actually is advancing the mission, which yeah. is the proclamation of the gospel to the believer and unbeliever alike. Yeah. So th- when, when he gets down to it, he is not, it's not a fear passage at all. You have the commendation of the spirit. You have the walk by faith. For the love of Christ controls us, verse 14, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore we all die. And he's he's giving this constant um, encouragement that two things, you are safe and secure, look to the love of Christ, and what you do actually does matter. It's not useless, because I can tell you, it feels like Life is worthless at the moment. Nothing's happening. Right. The world's going to hell in a handbasket. Christians are being stupid. They're fighting with each other. And Paul says, no, no, no. Everything is fine. Everything is in the midst of chaos. The love of Christ will keep you and realize what you do does matter. So don't become lazy. Don't give up. You don't want your life to be useless. You want your life to be of value. It is an yeah. encouragement towards value and love, not fear and judgment. That's right. Let's let's be fruitful. Let's be effective. Let's advance the cause of the gospel and God's plan of redemption. The love of Christ controls us. He died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but live for Christ's sake. You know, that's that's verse fifteen. That's right. And then he goes on to talk about being ambassadors for Christ. You know, in the latter part of right. Second Corinthians five. And yeah, I, I agree. It's it's not a threatening passage. It's one of encouragement and spurring people on in the midst of suffering and difficulty. Like, hey guys, it's worth it. Like what we're doing has, it has value and it's meaningful. Like, and we're not wasting our time. In 1 Corinthians 15, 58, like labor in the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. So it's a, it's more of, rather than Paul standing in the back of the room, cracking the whip and screaming at people, it's more of him at the front saying, hey, brothers, sisters, let's lock arms and let's work, you know, for the, for the good of our of our brothers and sisters and the good of our neighbor and for the sake of Jesus. Let's do this because we know that the end is incredible. We know where we're headed. And so let's let's have hope in the midst of suffering right. and let's do this together. That's that seems I mean, to be the the tone. Uh to your point says end of the chapter uh, verse 21, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Chapter six, working together with him, Christ, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. So he is, he's, he is, Word. it's this constant motivation. You have the righteousness of Christ in the midst of pain and suffering and chaos. You're being left here and it's for a reason. And I will say, Justin, that you and I both will admit we fall into the trap of it's God's responsibility to keep our life clean, pure, and happy. Good gracious. And and we forget that God's promise is not to fix this world and to not 
heal this land and not yeah. to remove all same, uh, sickness and pain. He, the, I believe that this remains to remind us that this life cannot provide anything We're, that it ever I, promises. I mean, brother, I was in the early, early this morning, you know, before, before you and I got on to talk and then record, I mean, I was, was reading some and was praying and, and I just, I lately have been, the month of June has been bananas in my world. It's just been, I realized we're July one now, as we sit here and record this, but it's crazy. Um, it's been a crazy season. Uh, COVID has taken a toll, uh, on me as a pastor and even as a Christian. And, uh, we've moved this month in, into an apartment and, and just various things going on. Right. And, and I felt kind of weary and at times just very frustrated and discouraged. And, and I, I'm grumbling, you know, in my heart and mind, if not out loud to my wife or whatever. And I, you know, praying this morning, I mean, like that God would forgive me for those sins and that he would give me grace you know, that I might not grumble and complain and be frustrated and that, you know, that I might have hope, you know, in this and, and realize that, yeah, this world is not my home and God's, God has not obligated himself to make me comfortable, you know, now, that's right. But he has given me an eternal and living hope through his son. And, and so, yeah, I think this is our experience practically every day in this Genesis three world. And and the Apostle right. Paul writes very honestly of these things. He talks in other contexts. I mean, 2 Corinthians 1, very beginning of this letter, he tells the Corinthian Christians, we don't want you to be ignorant of the things that we experienced. Like, we we had it so bad that we were despairing of life itself. And, right. and here we are, you know. And so yeah. I, I agree, I, I think, with with everything that we're saying. Obviously, I agree with with it, but it 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 matters. And it it makes tons of sense. Uh, that that Paul would write in this way or speak this way uh, to to stir us up, spur us on, give us hope, reassure us, and say like, let's press on for the sake of Christ and for the sake of our neighbor, and it's worth it, and we know where we're going. That's right. Yeah. Well, and I would say Paul dedicated his life for the building up of the church at large, not just of course did, one yeah. church, but all, all churches. Yeah. And he commissions each local church to make it their aim and ambition. Uh, Ephesians 4, make it uh, take every effort to maintain the yeah. bond of unity and peace is what he says, Ephesians 4, yeah. 1 and 2. So he, he gives this language of striving as a believer to build and protect yes. the church. Because we think about it, as, as we remain here on this life, you can pursue money, life, sex, fame, and all of that is going to disappoint you. You will be utterly disappointed at the end of your life. If you dedicate yeah. your life of the building up of the saints and the advancement of the church in uh, around the world, if that's where you put your life and your focus, one, you'll have purpose and meaning because it is for eternal value. But two, you understand that that only in Christ do I have hope and joy and satisfaction. And so if I put my attention, my foundation on Jesus Christ, not building the church as far as like, you know, uh, bigger buildings and numbers. That's not what I'm, right. what I mean, but it's, I am, I realize that the mission that I have here is not to find relief, but to give relief eternally through the message of the gospel around the world and believing that God's word, I'm sorry, the gospel is God's power and it can transform mm-hmm. lives around the world. So I would say when he says that there's a strong warning to the person who just is not very careful about their life and they allow their life to disband the church and destroy the church because I'm pretty strong warnings against that. Yeah. And I would, Agreed. so in turn, I, I would say, take all of this frustration, take all of this discouragement 
about what's going on in context. And even this fear, remove the fear and turn it into faith and encouragement and joy and say, I actually have a purpose for life. God's left me here with a reason. And Mm -hmm. I may be a truck driver, I may be a nurse, a mom, and I may be a pastor, but my responsibility is still the same, to love and care for and build up the people of God in the church as we minister around us and know that that is an eternal value far greater than uh, working on my own morality, which, you know, again, I'm not saying morality doesn't matter. But I, again, it's so introspective versus pushing us outside of ourselves sure. to a greater global purpose, which is the admission of Jesus Christ. Well, we're called, we're called to bear fruit, you know. I mean, even think about Second Peter 1, excuse me, where he says, be effective or... Uh, or whatever, it's always, the fruit is always kind of a relational fruit, and it's a it's a fruit mm-hmm. in the context of the local church, it seems to me, uh, when God thinks, it talks about us being fruitful. I mean, I'm, I'm mindful of like the parable of the sower whenever you think about being fruitful. I think a lot of times we freak out and we, we think wrongly that the Bible tells us to strive after effectiveness or to strive after unity or to strive after fruit and all those things. Uh, as though like you could blow this and really mess it up and and not produce fruit. Well, I mean, Christ says in the parable of the sower that those who are good soil will produce fruit, some 30-fold, mm. some 60, some 100. I, I, I'm mindful of Ephesians 2.10, where we're told to to do good works, that we were created in Christ Jesus you know, for good works, but that God has ordained them for us to walk in. They were prepared beforehand. I mean, so we need to trust Christ and and strive after these things and pursue these things, knowing that that the fruit will be born and that the good will happen and that the Lord is the one who does it. It's all of grace. You know, I, so I think those right. things are, are confidence giving. Yeah, I think we'll we'll pivot here in just a minute to our members. Hey, Justin, I want to add out. I was right, gonna, right before that. I was going to add one thing to that, to the whole fruit conversation. In yeah. the fruit context, what what we always miss is that Paul is talking about the unity of the body and the encouragement of the body, and that fruit is designed not to bring assurance or to secure yourself with God, but Word. the fruit is for the benefit. Consider how to build one another up in love and good works. After he says this, even in Ephesians and in Hebrews, he gives you what can cause the division, which is a lack of right. patience a lack of kindness right. and mercy and, and, and joy. Yeah. So talking about patience and forbearance, just another text really quickly before we we head to the members section. So in the members section, we're going to deal with Hebrews 13, 17, James 3, 1, uh, some of the, the passages that are aimed particularly at Romans leaders 14. and giving an account. But Romans 14, I want to I want to do that at least right now in a drive-by way, yeah. John, and we may sure. pick up more on yep. this in the members section because this is another one. So Romans for 14, 10, why do you pass judgment on your brother or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, he says, in, in mm-hmm. Romans 14 and verse 10. Well, again, in that context, I'm just going to do this very quickly. Paul is, is talking about the, the, the stronger and the weaker in the church. This is very similar to things that he writes in 1 Corinthians 8. Uh, and even 1 Corinthians 10 a little bit, like eating meat, sacrifice to idols and all those things, how some are understand that they're free to do that in Christ, and then some are really bothered by that in their own consciences. And so Paul is encouraging them to live with one another in a loving and understanding way. And so essentially in verse 10 of chapter 14, he's like, look, why why do you pass judgment on each other? Do you not realize that we all stand equally condemned in the flesh? Why in the world are you judging each other? You know, like basically 
understand who you are in the flesh, understand that we are all debtors to grace and mercy and love one another, you know, and -hmm. deal with one another, give charity, give grace, like bear with one another in love, right? That's the encouragement. And I I think that's a great word for, for everybody when it comes to the issues of, of Christian liberty and, and how we live in the church. Paul never gives a sweeping prohibition of anything. Oh, well, don't ever under any circumstance eat meat sacrificed to idols. Doesn't say that. No. He tells them to do something no. much harder. He says, love each other. You know, and so he's <laughs> he's right. humbling them, you know, in, in Romans chapter 14 with the reality of the fact that in the flesh they stand condemned. So Amen. therefore, because you've been saved by Jesus, love others who have been saved by Jesus. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, well, a lot more that could be said on the, on that, but that at least maybe yeah. that way for the regular, the regular listeners, they can at least hear the Romans 14 piece. Any thoughts on that, John, yeah, before we transition? It, yeah, I would just say interact with us. Uh, we, we post our episodes in a Facebook group every week and it's a great way to hop on there and, uh, you know, ask us questions and follow-ups. This, it's not a debate group. So if you're going to go in there because you want to drop bombs and debate, uh, that yeah. group is for people who are beat up, battered and tired. And they just want to hear more of Christ. And it's a, it's a great group of friends that get in there to encourage. We help each other find churches, find good book resources. So if you, if you want to join the conversation, go join us at the Theocast Facebook group. That would be a good place to do that. Word. John and I are about to make our way over to the Members Podcast. If you don't even know what that is, you could go to our website, theocast.org, and find out more information about our membership and all of the good things that come along with that. We are grateful to you for giving us a, a listen this week. We hope this conversation has been encouraging, clarifying, helpful to you in various ways. We are going to handle, amongst other things, Hebrews 13, 17, James 3, 1, maybe a little bit more Romans 14 in the members area. We will see you over there. Thank you.